Well, over the last uh, seven weeks, we've been attempting to answer the big questions, the big questions of life and faith. And um, the questions that we've been addressing over the last few weeks are, how can a God of love allow suffering in this world, which is a question that many people ask. Do miracles contradict science? Are Christianity and science compatible? Is it arrogant to claim that Jesus is the only way to God? Can we really trust the Bible? What about the church? Isn't Christianity just a psychological crutch? If Jesus is the only way to God, what about those who have never heard of Jesus? And aren't Christians narrow-minded? Well, today's big question is this. Can I be a Christian and still have doubts? A few years ago, I purchased a book on Amazon, uh, which was my summer holiday read. And it was written by John Humphreys, who is the presenter of Radio 4 uh, Today programme, also the presenter of Mastermind. And as we know, he's a brilliant journalist, a fascinating man with an exceptionally sharp brain. And this book was birthed in an award-winning Radio 4 series entitled Humphreys in Search of God in 2006. And John Humphreys at that time had um, the opportunity to challenge leaders of three of the world's major religions to prove to him that God existed. So he interviewed Rowan Williams, who was then the um, Archbishop of Canterbury, and also Rabbi Jonathan Sachs and a Muslim academic professor. Humphreys himself is an agnostic, someone who doesn't really know. And uh, he tells his own spiritual journey that he was brought brought up in a Christian home, that he was taught to pray, and he prayed every day of his life. That was until his doubts finally overwhelmed his faith. And the book that uh, he wrote was In God We Doubt, The Confessions of a Failed Atheist. I think it's a great title, isn't it? (laughs) And there's a lovely play on words there. You know, from In God We Trust, which is the official uh, motto of the USA, to In God We Doubt. And Humphreys is not an atheist. In fact, he argues convincingly against militant atheism. But he's a man whose doubts actually win out in the end, which I find a little bit more than sad. And maybe this morning, that's something that you can relate to. You can relate to John Humphreys in that. Maybe that you feel that your doubts actually would disqualify you from ever being a true Christian, a follower of Jesus. Some Christians um, suggest that Christian believers should never have doubts or questions or struggles. That they should always, always, always be triumphant in their faith. And I've been a follower of Jesus now for nearly 40 years. In a few months' time, it will be 40 years. And in my early years as a Christian, it seemed as though no other Christian around me ever had doubts or questions or issues. I tell you what, that really made me feel very, very unspiritual. Because I was surrounded with all these people who never claimed to have a doubt about anything. But I now know that that was false. They did have doubts. They did have questions. 
They just didn't like to talk about them. And they didn't like to talk about them because they didn't want to appear to be unspiritual in, uh, to their Christian friends. And there was an awful lot of mask wearing. And I think mask wearing is always unhealthy and it's unhelpful. And the one thing that I can say, there's many things I can say about this wonderful church that we're a part of, is that despite our faults and failures, we're human, aren't we? Mask wearing is virtually non-existent in this place where people have a true, real, and authentic um, uh, faith. Sorry, I, I, I feel quite emotional about that, even as I'm saying it, because, you know, I think you're just wonderful. And thank you. This morning, I'm going to ask uh, three questions in this bigger question. What is doubt? What does the Bible say about it? And how should we deal with it? What is it? The first question, well, some people think that doubt is the opposite of faith. It's not. The opposite of faith is unbelief. And that's a very, very important distinction. What is unbelief? Unbelief is a willful refusal to believe or even a deliberate decision to disobey God. But that's not what doubt is. Doubt is to be indecisive and uncertain over an issue. Doubt is to have questions. To doubt is to be suspended between certainty and uncertainty on some issue that we haven't come down squarely on the side of disbelief. We're still up in the air. That you've got questions or concerned about some facet of your faith. You can have a strong faith and still have doubts. You can be a follower of Jesus and still express some uncertainty on some issues. There's a really helpful story found in the New Testament, in Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 7. And we are told there that John the Baptist was in prison. And John the Baptist had doubts about the identity of Jesus. Now for those who may not know their way around the Bible and say, who, who the heck is John the Baptist? John the Baptist was a prophet who announced the coming of Christ and pointed people to Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. John was a guy who baptized Jesus, who saw the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit came down, the Father from heaven saying, this is my Son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And this guy who had seen all of that, he now has doubts. He's not sure anymore. Is this Jesus really the Messiah or not? So he dispatches some representatives to go and find out the answer to that. And that's where we pick up the story. And I'll put some Bible verses on the screen for you. In Luke chapter 7 verse 19, he sent them, that's two of his disciples, to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? You see, John had been languishing in prison for months. And quite naturally, he got disheartened disconsolate, discouraged. He was full of doubts. But how did Jesus react to that? Did he slam dunk him for doubting? Did he criticize him? Did he shame him? Well, no, none of those things. Actually, what he did is found in verse 22. So Jesus replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. 
The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those with ha- who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. In other words, instead of condemning John for having doubts, Jesus instructs these men to go back to John the Baptist who is in prison and tell him all the evidence that they've accumulated and everything that confirms that Jesus truly is the Messiah. But how did Jesus feel about this guy, John, who now has full of doubts? Does he think less of him? Does he tell him, John, you're a waste of space. John, you're a failure. No. What he tells him in verse 28, or what he tells his disciples, is among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Just think about that for a moment. At the time of John's greatest doubts, Jesus actually pays him the highest compliment. And the good news is, and it may be that I I imagine that most of you here in this room today are people who have decided to become followers of Jesus sometime in your lives. And I just want to encourage you that the good news is that in the middle of our doubts and questions and concerns, God continues to accept us and love us. You see, the Lord would rather have us be totally honest and transparent and authentic as Christians than to wear those masks and to hide away with doubts that we might have. Or to pretend to other people that we are somehow living on some kind of spiritual plane up there that nobody else can attain to. The truth is that doubt can actually produce some positive side effects. That might surprise you. Let me put this quote from a guy called Gary Parker in his book, The Gift of Doubt. He says, if faith never encounters doubt, if truth never struggles with error, if good never battles with evil, how can faith know its own power? In my own pilgrimage, I have to choose between a faith that the stared doubt in the eye and made it blink, or a naive faith that has never known the firing line of doubt. I will choose the former every time, and so will I. You see, our doubts very often cause us to seek answers to questions we wouldn't have ordinarily asked. And we emerge stronger. Our faith is confirmed. We have a new confidence in God. So if I were to ask you a really, really challenging question this morning, what sort of faith do you have? Do you have a faith which has been toughened and tempered through doubt? Or do you have a naive faith that has never, ever been tested? Ouch, that's a tough question. About ten years ago, I went through a challenging time of doubt. It was a really hard time. I, I didn't doubt God's existence. That's never been in question. I didn't doubt God's forgiveness of me. Neither has that been in question. I didn't doubt the reality of God. I didn't doubt the, the power of God to transform lives. But I did doubt some of the ways which I had understood the Bible and the Christian faith for the previous three decades of my being a follower of Jesus. You know, we're going through a a series, big questions. Well, I had my own big questions. And it was excruciating. And I was far from happy from many of the answers that I had been given by others. 
And it was painful and it was scary. It was scary for me and it was scary for Julie. I remember Julie saying to me, or thinking rather, that I'd lost the plot. No, please, no comments on that. No, no shouting out, you know, or putting your hands up in agreement there. And she thought that I was losing my faith. And she thought that I was soon to lose my job. You see, it was very, very difficult. At the same time of all of this, this, this going on, I didn't have the luxury of escape somewhere until all my doubts had been settled because I continue to be the pastor of this church. After five or six years of serious study and prayer and a doctorate from Bangor University thrown in for good measure, which I started in response to those personal questions which I had, I felt I had an answer. I came to a, a place of rest. I still had some doubts and some questions, but many of those doubts and questions had been answered. My trust in God grew. God, for me, during that time of trial through, through, through doubts of certain things, became far more real and far more wonderful. And God became far more gracious and loving than he had ever been to me before. You see, doubts very often can bring us to a better place. You know, the people who never doubt very often are the people who never ever entertain um, doing any serious study with their faith. They just take things on board without ever really, really getting to grips with it. And as I look back to that time, I think I can say with Gary Parker in this quote that I'm glad that I've had a faith that has stared doubt in the eye and made it blink. These times are never, ever easy. I love many things about the, the scriptures, and one of the things I love most is that the Bible always paints a picture which is realistic. It tells it as it is. Bible characters are always painted warts and all. Abraham, this great man of God in the scriptures, he was known as the father of faith. Not just a follower, not just a, a person of faith, but the father of faith. My word, he must be on up there somewhere. On this pedestal. But yet, as we read his story, we can read it in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, but the writers of the New Testament pick up his story as well in Romans and Hebrews and James in the New Testament. Yes, he was a man who trusted God in some amazing ways, but there are other areas where he doubted God such as the occasion that many of you will know of the time that he slept with his wife's maidservant because he doubted that he was going to have any children through his natural wife. Again, this one who was the father of faith. You've got faith and doubt side by side. And if we remove from the Bible every verse, of, uh, uh, from the Bible, every person who doubted God, we'd have a very small book. It would be a pamphlet, not a, a, a great big tome that the Bible is. Do you remember the time when the storm arose at the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was in the back of the boat and the disciples woke him up? Lord, don't you care? We drowned. And Jesus said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Why do you still have no faith? Again, faith and doubt. Then there was the occasion when Jesus got out, uh, Peter rather got out of the boat and in faith walked on the water towards Jesus. And then he started to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. 
And the response from Jesus was, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Again, faith, getting out of the boat. Doubt. I don't know if you remember the story of Jesus coming down the mountain with Peter, James and John. And he hears the disciples arguing in the valley below. And the arguing was centered on a a young boy who had an evil spirit. The, The disciples couldn't cast this spirit out. And the father of the boy comes to ask Jesus for help. And he says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And the response is this. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. How many of us have ever uttered those words? And technically speaking, he wasn't suffering from unbelief. He was afflicted with doubt. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Again, faith and doubt. As someone once said, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. I think that's a good quote. Because doubts can help define and redefine and refine our faith. Because they cause us to look more closely at what we believe. And again, if you think about it, if we had absolute certainty on everything, there would simply be no room for doubt. No room for faith, sorry. Okay. I'm going to be really practical now. Just going to have five practical steps to overcome doubt. Maybe these will help us this morning. I'll try to be as practical as possible with this. And the five points are all taken from the word faith. And the letters of faith will represent um, each point. So the F in faith stands for find the root of your doubt. In other words, if we are doubting and we are struggling in this particular area, then we need to diagnose the source of doubt before we can deal with it. I'm going to tell you some stories, stories about Joe and Maisie and Sarah. Not their real names, but their stories nevertheless are real. Joe's doubt came because he joined a church that believed everyone has the right to claim their healing. All they need to do is to make some positive confession to God in the name of Christ. The trouble was, the church prayed and confessed positively and prayed and fasted and prayed and claimed the victory, yet his uncle George still died. Joe's doubts came out of a dodgy understanding of what the Bible actually teaches. Maisie. Maisie is a senior accountant in a top company. She cared for her aging mother at the same time as lovingly tending for her husband who was suffering from heart disease. Due to his condition, she took on most of the workload in running the home. She was also a children's worker in a local church. And Maisie couldn't sense God these days as she once did in her earlier life. On a good day, she felt flat and uninspired. In her faith, but on a bad day, she doubted God's existence. You see, Mary's doubts came through not having enough rest and relaxation. Sarah, she joined a life group in a new church. She thought that the people that were friendly 
if not sometimes opinionated. And she got very close to a couple who were especially intolerant and negative and, and even bigoted. Nothing seemed right for them. The worship, the preaching, the outreach, the young people, the chairs, the colour of the toilet walls. Nothing was right. And in time, some of their cynicism started rubbing off on Sarah. Obviously, she didn't notice this at first. But her sweet personality gradually hardened over weeks and months. She herself became cynical and negative and, and she lost something of that sweet innocence and sweetness in her walk with God. Darkness replaced the, the former lightness of her character. And the truth was that she had opened a door in which Satan gladly walked through and doubts followed soon afterwards. You see, if I had the time this morning, I could probably give you another dozen scenarios of people who are experiencing great doubt in their lives and in their Christian life, and then you have to just find out the root of that particular doubt. And we need to ask searching questions of ourselves. Is the cause of our doubt some previous disappointment that we have with God? Maybe we have prayed a prayer earnestly. We believe that God was going to answer in a particular way and God didn't do that and God answered in some other way and we were just left doubting. Maybe doubt has come because we have been let down or hurt by others. A Christian friend, a family member, a local church. Maybe our doubt has come because we have been comparing ourselves with others with those other Christians who might appear to be living on a totally different spiritual plane up there somewhere. And when we compare ourselves with them, we feel very inadequate and not up to the job. For some people, their doubts are intellectual doubts. <clears throat> and with intellectual doubts, some intellectual doubts are intellectual doubts. But some intellectual doubts are not intellectual doubts, they're just a smokescreen for some deeper issues. Do you know what? That is most certainly true. I have met many, many people over the years where that is true for them. I remember hearing the story of Nicky Gumbel um, going to, in his um, training f to become an Anglican minister. And he went to this church and um, they had a Q&A, a question and answer session about all things about the Christian faith at the end of that service. And there was one guy in particular from the congregation that night who was a university lecturer and he just kept asking Nicky Gumbel lots and lots of seriously hard questions. And as many of you know, Nicky Gumbel has degrees in law and theology from Oxford and Cambridge and he quite easily answered many of those questions. But as the questions kept coming, Nicky stopped the other guy and said, Sir... If you were to get all of your questions answered satisfactorily, would you then believe? And the guy laughed. And he said, no. At least he was honest. You see, the problem was there that it wasn't an intellectual doubt, but it was something else. And those questions were acting as a smokescreen. He simply didn't want to change. And as I say, I've met many people who were just like that. The A in faith is ask God and others for help. And I would encourage you to be honest with God, just as the, the father of that demon-possessed boy was when he said to Jesus, I do believe, help me in my unbelief. 
The man asked Jesus. Jesus helped him heal the son. And I would say to you that I encourage you to ask God as a priority, not as a last resort. Ask him to lead you to answers, to give you insights, to give you wisdom, to put you in touch with the right people. And you will be amazed at some of the ways that God will answer that prayer. This morning we've seen an amazing DVD by Richard. And Richard was a man who couldn't believe and talked to God about it, which is always a good thing to do. And then within 24 hours, he received that spectacular, spectacular answer to prayer. The next step, I would say, for the person who really desires to believe, is to get where faith is found. If you want to grow roses, you don't buy an acre uh, in the North Pole to plant roses. You find out where roses grow best, and you buy that plot of land. And similarly, if you want to grow in faith, you probably don't want to join the Tamworth Atheist Society. Although it could be argued that atheists have far more faith than Christians because it takes astonishing faith to believe that there's no God. No. If you want to grow in faith and dispel doubts, then meet up regularly with people who are Christians. People that you respect for their life, for their minds, for their character, for their faith. Learn from them. Observe from them. Observe their lives. And that's why we say in this church that small groups are very important to us because they are safe places where we can admit that we are grappling with some of the issues and questions of life and to ask for prayer support. The I speaks of identify a course of action. Now that you've found the root cause of your doubt and you've sought God's wisdom and the input of others, what plan are you going to implement to fight those doubts? For instance, instead of just saying you've got vague intellectual problems of your faith, what specific questions do you have? Pinpoint them with precision. And then you can pursue the answers. Maybe the cause of some doubts are emotional issues. Maybe you need to talk these through with a Christian counsellor who can help you on the road to healing. I know a very good Christian counsellor. Not a very good, an excellent Christian counsellor. That's what you told me to say, Jan, wasn't it? (laughs) She's brilliant, actually, in our own church. Maybe the cause of your doubt is linked to bad choices that you've made. The course of treatment is simple. Confess your sin to God. He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And confess doesn't just mean, Lord, I'm sorry, and carry on what you've been doing, but it means stop. It means turn around. It means going God's direction. The T. Taste and see that the Lord is good, which is advice found in Psalm 34, verse 8. You see, at some point... Our faith journey needs to begin. There needs to be that moment when we say to God, I haven't got all my questions answered, I still have some doubts, but I know enough to get started. I'm ready to journey. You see, knowing about the Christian faith in our heads is never enough. If you want to learn to ride a bike, then at some point you need to get into the saddle. You can watch a dozen videos on how to ride a bike. Or how to get your balance right. You can read a library of books on it. But you need to get in the saddle. 
And the Christian life is similar. You could go on a dozen Alpha courses. You can read the entire Bible. But there needs to be a time when you get in the saddle, when you cross the line, when you make that leap of faith or whichever other metaphor you wish to use. The psalmist used taste and see. So what's that mean in practical terms? We need to actually start doing the things that Jesus taught. For example, and there are many, many examples of this. One example, Jesus taught that it's more blessed to give than to receive. The only way that you know that is ever true is to do it. And when you do it, you'll find out that it's true. Jesus taught on another occasion, pray for your enemies and for those who are spitefully, uh, who use us spitefully. Now that's a tough one. You know, we can listen to great stories of forgiveness. You know, we can listen to Corrie ten Boom, that lady who was um, terribly abused in the concentration camps of the second, in Auschwitz in the Second World War. We can be inspired by their stories of forgiveness. But the only way to experience the blessing that Jesus talks about is to actually do it. Not by reading about it, not by listening to other people's stories about it, by actually doing it. As somebody once said, if you want to walk in, on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Christianity isn't true because it works, it works because it's true. And the H. Hold your remaining questions in tension. And what I mean by that is that we are limited people. We have limited minds. We can't understand our unlimited God. And there are bound to be some questions that we will ask that we won't get full and complete answers to immediately. Some answers come in time, when we grow in faith and in wisdom and when we, consider, when we continue to seek God. But sometimes those answers will only come when we get to heaven. And we can raise our hand, almost like the little boy in the back of the class, and say, Jesus, I, I, I've got a question that's been bugging me for some time now. Exactly how does predestination fit in with free will? And how does this Trinity thing work? And where were you in that time of great need in my life? And why is there so much suffering in the world? I tell you what, my hand is going to be in the air lots and lots. But we have all of eternity to satisfy our curiosity. And until then, we can say, I might not have the answers to every single one of my peripheral questions, but the answers that I do have point me unmistakably in the direction of God as being real and dependable and faithful and more loving than I could ever imagine. So let's face it. If we had all the answers, there'd be no room for faith, would there? So, today's question, can I be a Christian and still doubt? The answer is yes, absolutely. Our doubts do not disqualify us from being followers of Jesus. And all our doubts show us is that we are human beings. I just want to leave you with the incredibly modest and unassuming words of Richard on the video that we all saw together earlier on, following that amazing answer to prayer. And Richard said this, 
my search for God has ended. But I shall continue to ask questions though. It's only human, I suppose. And he was right. And for some of you here today, the challenge is to taste and see that the Lord is good. But continue to ask questions. It's only human.